Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo, and of course my co-host Patrick Daly. And for today's episode, we're going to talk about how to maximize your investment in translation. So we have a few different topics that we're going to go over. But first, we definitely want to start with a news story. Uh, as you know, we pay attention to things that happen in the translation industry. And I found this one really interesting. This is something I'm actually a, a customer of this organization. Uh, and I won't mention the organization, but I'm a volunteer for um, a baseball team. And we use this application to communicate with parents. And it's uh, mainly a tool that's used to uh, to text, to mass text, you know, groups of folks, either parents, students, whatever it is. And again, I won't say the name of the tool, but they came out with a, a function that I guess they're very proud of. And it's um, basically having the ability to set a parent's language preference and then communicate to that parent in that language by using auto-translation. I only have one thing to say on that. What the hell are they thinking? Like, seriously. I, I'm just, I'm picturing like, okay, um, I'm writing little Johnny's mom and dad in Spanish. Well, actually, I'm writing in English, talking about, it, you know, requiring a disciplinary meeting or, you know, these are meant for like short blurbs of text. It's not even like email necessarily, full sentences, full sentences. Because I, I remember my son's baseball team when he was in high school used it. And, you know, you, you send sort of disjointed messages. And I'm thinking to myself, what would happen to that if that were auto-translated using whatever service, whether it's the Google API or Azure or whatever, whatever tool it is, I mean, the odds are stacked against you. And I, th I think it's just going to be um, really terrible. Yeah, I mean, in theory, that seems like a good idea. Like, it would be great if you could set your language and get a good machine translation that shows up for you. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, it's it's totally crazy. And, and I think we should ask your dog for his opinion as well. So don't worry, Patrick, if he jumps in. Yeah, um, she's, she's chiming in right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, in theory, it works. As we've talked about, machine translation is only as good as what you put into the engine. So putting in these kind of fragments and maybe, you know, texting isn't really a great thing to translate to begin with because it's all kind of shorthand and slang anyways so that just complicates things even further yeah i just uh i, I don't see the point in it and I, I mean like you say it sounds phenomenal like i like the idea of okay you can set a parent's language preference and you know maybe if you have something translated and again it doesn't have to be by an agency this is my goal here is not to say oh well the only way this will work is if you translate with an agency no um you know, if you if your school covers 10 languages and you're fortunate enough to have like six of them covered internally, well, great. Go ahead and get them covered internally and have those translated by at least someone on the staff that's, you know, bilingual or close to bilingual and great. So the functionality of it is, is awesome, but I just can't imagine the delivery. So that's that's me and Patrick on a soapbox, I guess. So, all right, well, why don't we jump in? to how to maximize uh, your investment in translation. You know, as you know, if, if any of you have uh, ever priced translation services, if you're doing large documents, it can be an investment. It's, under, it's understandable. If you embark on translating your website and maintaining it, it's an investment. Understandable. But I think we have some ideas that might help you stretch your dollar a bit. And I think one of the first ones to think about is maybe just dipping your toe in the water and what I mean by that is, 
you know, I don't think it's one of those decisions where it's an all or nothing thing. Like, all right, we're going to serve our Spanish speaking customer base and we're going to translate every single document we own and every single page of our website. You know, I actually think that would be a mistake. Uh, I, I, I would suggest starting with a smaller work set. If, if you're talking about the website, maybe go look at the pages that are most often visited. Uh, if you're talking about your documentation set, you know, what's most important? You know, what do you have data in terms of which products sell to which uh, parts of the community service? Just an idea. Yeah, I think that's important, too, just to kind of get a feel for how process and workflow works as well with your translation provider. I think that's something that a lot of times customers don't consider is what kind of work is needed for the specific document or project. Um, So really kind of figuring out that workflow, figuring out the process. Maybe it's, you know, a learning curve as you go. You kind of gradually ramp up your your translation efforts. But like you said, you don't have to start with, all right, here's everything, go. Maybe just a little bit at a time and get the ball rolling. And then obviously once you're comfortable, everyone's comfortable with the workflow and process, you can really hit the ground running. That's right. That's right. Hit some base hits. You know, after you get some success, wonderful. You know, expand, try to do more, try to Try to expand your presence. Try to engage more customers. But feel free to start, you know, smaller. And I apologize if I sound a little nasally. I'm getting over a sinus infection, so I will apologize in advance if I cough or sound funny. Um, so that dovetails really well into the next con- uh, concept, which is, you know, evaluating your revenue streams and web traffic. And, you know, I, I alluded to that just a second ago. But you know, here's some additional ideas. If you're a company that's driven by distributor sales, talk to your distributors or the wholesale folks that you work with. Talk to your salespeople. Talk to who whoever has sort of a pulse on the market. You know, who are our customers? Where are our customers? You know, what languages do they speak? And, you know, maybe look at your customer database. If Even if you're doing business just domestically, um, you know, look at what areas you're in. So, for example, here in Chicago, you know that there's a lot of Spanish speakers, Russian, Korean, um, Polish, a ton of Polish speakers. So, you know, depending on where you're doing business and what type of product or service you sell, you can sort of back into what languages you should look at. Um, and I, I don't know if people knew this or not, but um, and I know we just recently did another census, uh, but the Census Bureau will actually publish data in terms of what languages are spoken in what areas of the country. Um, so, you know, use those resources. Uh, and all of that is free. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah, we run into that too when we get customers who may not know what language they need to. They just know what country they're going into or there's multiple languages spoken. That's something we can help out with too. We'll say, hey, we'll, we'll kind of reference that census information like you said and, and other databases that we have that say, there's this many speakers of this language, this many of this one, this many of that one. You know, it's up to you as the customer. You're, you're making that final decision, but we can help you guide you along the way if there's multiple languages in a country and, and you're unsure of which one you need for translation. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Now, if you build on that, if you take those two concepts together where you're saying dip your toe in the water and translate a small subset to start with and then intermingle that with you know, looking at what languages you should do. Again, just, you know, know that you don't have to do everything in every language you decide to do, but be very selective, especially, you know, as you're trying to hit a couple base hits, trying to get some singles, generate a little more revenue and engagement, and as you do, then expand out from there. 
Um, the next concept kind of moves more towards the creation of the English, Patrick, and I know you've been involved in some projects like this as well, where, you know, if um, if you start too early and the source content hasn't be, been reviewed, you know, oftentimes you'll see a lot of changes and it creates rework. So now you've effectively paid for translation of something you're not even going to use. Then you have to pay for the translation of the stuff you're going to use. So I would say just be really careful. Um, avoid rework. It's money that's flushed you know, down the toilet. It's money that you can't, can't get back. And trust me, your translation service providers don't want to translate stuff that you're not going to use. Um, you know, most of us want to see you, your engagement go up, and we want to see you maximize what you're getting out of the translation spend. Um, Patrick, any comments on that? I know you've seen that in projects. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it in shows past, and we'll bring it up again, is just think about the number of languages you're translating into when you make a change, and then how many changes that you know, that causes, it's a domino effect. So let's say you're going into 10 languages, we translate and they're like, oop, we changed a few sentences here and there. Well, we we need to rehire those 10 linguists or 20 possibly even to get back on the project, do that rework. So really our goal as project managers is to be as efficient as we can. So we don't like to see it. We'll, we'll communicate clearly with what is needed if rework is the route we need to go. But we want to avoid that at all costs because not only is it rework for our teams, it's rework for us, and it's more budget for you as the client. So that's we don't want to be ringing up the register on you. We want you to be most efficient with your budget. Yeah, and along the same lines, um, you know, being consistent in terms of you know from update to update or release to release, you know, careful with the stylistic changes because in, in the next topic we're going to talk about is translation memory on how important it is, but. You know, remember, if you make a stylistic change to your English in between releases, the next time that that release comes up for translation, you're going to effectively take away translation memory matches and make them fuzzy matches. So, you know, again, I know we've spoken about translation memory a hundred times, but just very broadly, very briefly, remember that your translation service provider uses a database or should be using if they're not please run as fast as you can but they should be using a database that captures every sentence of translation that they do so all that human created translation gets captured in translation memory database so that when you translate that same sentence in the future you're not charged for it creates consistency time savings money savings so if you make a change stylistically you invalidate it Right, and an interesting thing, too, is with a stylistic change like that, it's very well possible the translation won't change based on your change in the English. So you're essentially double paying to get the exact same output, which, I mean, we've seen that come up. People are like, oh, we changed this to that, and the translator's like, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, that happens a lot. So, I mean, it's, it's um, and, you know, someone still has to review it, right? So that action still has to happen. Certainly there's value to it. But there's no value to that change in translation. So just be careful with that. Something to think about. Patrick, why don't we roll into the next one and you can kick off this concept. Um, you know, I labeled this one manage translation memory as if it were gold. Yeah, that's um, it's definitely an asset to you as the client. It's, it's in our opinion, it's your property. Um, even though we maintain and manage it for you, if, if you want it, we'll give it to you. 
Um, so like Peter mentioned, the, the translation memory is a database of all translations we've done for you as a customer for all time, for as long as we've worked with you. Um, so it's important to what we like to suggest, um, because sometimes it is a little bit tricky to navigate. If you're leaving a provider, they might be like, well, why do you want your translation memory now? So what we like to suggest is, you know, make it part of your SOP to request it at a certain interval, whether it's every project, every quarter, every year, um, just to have a copy on hand. Um, and if you are looking to switch as providers, that's going to be a huge asset because then they'll have the translation base that your previous provider had. So it's just a win-win for you as the customer to to keep an eye on your translation memory and really talk about how often you want to receive it from your your provider. Yeah, and 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 to add on that, if the, your translation service provider has a way to give you access, you know there. Are, uh, I know with our group, uh, we we give our clients access to the translation memory so they can query it at any time, which is a really nice bonus. Um, it's not a requirement, but for a lot of people, it helps. We have. Uh, we have a group of clients that do packaging, and if you think of how many times you recycle bullets when you do packaging, because you know you're always listing your features, so they love having that translation memory access because oftentimes it's like, oh gosh, I know we've translated this bullet a million times. So they may not even involve us. Sometimes they just query the database, they find the bullet they need, and they use it. Um, so it's it's another huge opportunity for savings, time yep, savings. With that too, though, it's kind of also you say your own risk if you're you know, someone who comes from a Latin language background and you're trying to pick up words or phrases from an Asian language, you may still want to involve your provider because they can point you to the right characters where it's not really a one-to-one comparison. So while it is nice to have that access to the memory, it's also a little tricky or dangerous if you're you're not careful with how you use it. Yeah, I call that Frankensteining. I love that. (laughs) It's my favorite term. I made that one up. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to use it. Usually makes people laugh, but yes, never Frankenstein a translation. Um, you know, all too often you'll hear people say, and we just saw this actually with a project the other day, is that, yeah, you know, we were just a couple words missing. So one of the designers went to Google and filled in a couple things, and it was absolutely ridiculous. And it's funny because this form was great. It was all existing translation except for this one sentence that they decided to Frankenstein. It just makes the whole form look stupid. So, um, you know, do yourself a favor and never Frankenstein. Yes, do not grab bits and pieces from here and there. Grab whole sentences if you do have access to that translation memory. So uh, the next one's about data reporting. And we're saying, you know, it's important as well um, to, you know, have some sort of idea like, hey, how much money did we save based on the translation memory? Because it really measures two things. It measures the effectiveness of your translation service provider but it also measures the effectiveness of your uh, authoring team. Now, if you're a client that does mainly corporate communications and every bit of content is unique, you know you don't ever repeat things, nah, that, that might not be as important. Where it might be important is if you're creating user documentation like user manuals, procedures, packaging. You know, you want to see, hey, are we reinventing the wheel? Or you might even it might even give you an indication of the year. Like if you see a lot of new content versus translation memory matches and repetitions and such, you might say, well, we did release, you know, 100 new SKUs last year out of 150. So, you know, it's all new content. So you'll reap those benefits later, but still really, really important to have that data. Yeah, I would say at a minimum, you should see that 
on every single quote you're getting for every single project. You should see any memory matches. But I mean, one thing that I like that we do, our customers love it too, is we do quarterly and annual reporting and those are automatically generated. So really we just, we have all of those, um, those formulas in place, just kind of pull all that data together and instantly push it right out to every single customer. So I'd say at the very least, you should see it on every quote, but I really like that we we kind of provide that more often of every quarter and every year. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. At the quote level is so important. Really helps you compare apples to apples as well in terms of you know what your provider is doing versus if you're comparing quotes. So you understand the level of service and you know what they're doing in terms of translation memory matches or repetitions. So it's really important. Um, another topic, and and I, I certainly. You know, the, the, the title of our podcast, obviously, is Translation Confidential. This is not meant to be, you know, that Anthony Bourdain moment where you say, oh, we discovered how translation memory or translation agencies, you know, earn extra revenue. It's not really the case. What I'm saying here is be smart about extra charges. I'm not saying that they're not warranted. Um, I can tell you that we charge project management fees when they're warranted, rush fees when they're warranted. XML engineering, yeah, that's weird. We've never charged that one. <laughs> One's kind of strange, I will admit. And I've seen it. Um, XML does not require an engineer. If it's well-formed XML that you're sending to your translation provider, they don't need an engineer to parse it. So if you ever see that line item, there's one more reason to run. Um, that one we've never charged. But file prep, that one sometimes needs to be charged. My point there, and Patrick, I wonder if you agree on this, is that these fees are sometimes indications of something wrong in your workflow. So, for example, if a translation service provider comes back to you and says, hey, thanks for the InDesign file. I needed to do about four hours of file prep work to get it ready for translation. What they're really saying to you is your designer loves to put hard returns in the middle of sentences. They don't know how to use uh, columns and like to lay on the tab button when they're trying to move something to the other side of the page. And by the way, uh, they really love the space bar. Yeah, that's uh, you're describing a few InDesign files uh, that are giving me bad memories right now because I've definitely seen that before. Um, so that's something um, not everyone might bring up, but we like to say those things kind of up front before we even quote like, hey, this file's kind of a mess. Do you want us to fix it or do you do you as the customer want to fix it? Um, and like you said, that's where kind of those extra charges come into play. But what I like that we do is, you know, we kind of give you that fair warning of, hey, it's going to take me this long to do this. Do you want me to do it or do you want to have your design team take care of it? So like you said, it's not that these extra fees are immediately signaling you to run for the hills. It's, you know, why are these fees there? Um, so really, if if you do discover them, like you said, maybe it's worth a conversation with your provider of, hey, why am I always being charged rush fees? Is there anything we can do to avoid that? Um, at which point we'll say, give us more time. Um, so it's really, I think those are always open for discussion. So if, if you see those, that's definitely worth asking, you know, why, why those are there, why it applies to this project specifically. Um, and it shows your provider too that that you're a savvy buyer. You're not just you know checking the box saying approved. You're you're really invested in the process like we are. Yeah, and I mean, you know, again, it's not to say that these charges aren't warranted sometimes. And sometimes you're going to be okay paying them. Like as an example, 
you know, we did a project the other day for a client, and all they had was a PDF. They said, ah, you know, things didn't end well with the previous designer. We don't have the source files. We just have this PDF. Okay, well, that's an opportunity where, you know, we would need to convert that PDF to InDesign. It requires some work. You have to fix the images. You're essentially redesigning the piece. The good news is, as a deliverable, you're going to get now an English InDesign file. Let's say it's going into Spanish. An English InDesign file, a Spanish InDesign file, and a PDF of both. So guess what? Next time around, you now have a good source file. And you may also say, Peter Patrick, it sounds like you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Why do I care? Well, the reason you care is because if this is an InDesign document that you plan to update, or a FrameMaker document, a Word document, whatever it might be, that you plan to update, if the translation provider isn't telling you about these fixes, again, another reason to run, because let's say you leave those hard returns in the middle of sentences. The next time the project comes around, someone makes a font switch, whatever it is, and now the sentence wraps and the hard returns occur in different spots, you're going to have translation memory mismatches because the problem is, remember, like a language like Spanish that has inverted language, you know, inverted word order, you know, the second, third, fourth clause, the secondary clauses in a sentence might become the first clause in a sentence. So now the translator is trying to like reverse engineer this thing. Like, oh, I know what the whole sentence is because I see the second part in my next segment. So, okay, I'm just going to translate it in reverse. Well, guess what? That translation memory is useless because the next time that phrase comes up, it's going to give you the wrong translation. So you're really, you know, going back a concept or two, that translation memory asset that I said is gold is now being treated like it's garbage, essentially. Muddy gold. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's not good at all. So, you know, that's really why you care, um, because you're really shooting yourself in the foot for future reuse. Yeah, absolutely. I just I just thought of uh, an analogy for translation memory and bad translation memory. So, you know, good translation memories, your nice, purified, drinkable water. Your bad one is muddy water out of you know, a lake that you might not want to drink out of. But, I mean, they're both water, but one of them's good for you and one of them's not. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you're really kicking the can down the road in terms of cost. And, again, um, you'd rather hear the truth from your translation service provider than what sounds good. Because, um, you know, some people say, yeah, we'll figure it out. We don't care. We'll just translate. But that's short term. They're not accumulating translation memory. They're not helping you save money on your next release. You know, sometimes you have to take your medicine on the job so that then you can save money in the future. Um, that was definitely the last concept for me. Did we miss anything, Patrick? Was there another concept that you had or anything that you wanted to add an exclamation point? And of course, you know what my next question is going to be after that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just go with my big takeaway. I think we covered everything pretty well. Um, uh, hold on, Patrick. Patrick, hold on. Patrick, so what's your big takeaway? Um, I would say that... I have to say it. I, I know, right? Um, I would say that really if you see something that you're not sure of when you get a quote as a buyer, feel free to ask about it. Most most project managers, whoever is providing you with the quote, will be happy to walk you through anything that is unclear on the quote, anything you're unsure of. Um, maybe you see some of those kind of extra charges, project management, rush fees, whatever they might be. Um, so if you see something that kind of makes you raise your eyebrow, 
I mean, ask about it. The least, the worst that can happen is they explain it to you and you still move forward with it. Um, so really, if, again, if there's, there's anything that gives you pause on the quote, just reach out and figure out what the heck it actually means. Yeah, I like that. That would have probably been my biggest takeaway as well, but I don't want to uh, copy you. So that's why I go first. Yeah, that's terrible. We're going to have to change that up, I think. But I, I think, so what I'll do is just to change a little bit, I'm going to talk about, you know, dipping your toe in the water because I think that's equally important, kind of married with that idea of evaluating your revenue streams and web traffic. Those two together, I think, are really powerful. Um, and I think it also gives you a, uh, a way to trial run with your translation service provider, get to know how they work. You make a small investment. You say, oh, okay, wow, that project went really smoothly. Great. So then not only are you taking baby steps in terms of generating more revenue, but you're taking baby steps in evaluating your new translation service providers. So I think that that's really, really important. So if that's it, we're going to wrap up this episode of Translation Confidential. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly signing off.